Our announcement guys sure get a lot of love. So if you'd like to feel like a lot of love come towards you, you can volunteer to be an announcement guy because I'm just saying, which is a great thing. I mean, I'm liking it. And uh, so if you're new with us today, my name is Pastor John. I'm the pastor here at Crossroads Church. And we're just uh, an honor to be here with you and uh, be able to preach today. And I want to talk to you today about uh, the prayer-powered mission that we have. We're going to finish our study in the book of Colossians today. Um, and, but I want to talk to you about a mission. Now, I like movies about missions. I like books about missions. I have all kinds of books about them. Uh, Secret Agent Mission, Will They or Will They Not Make It? What is your mission in life? And, the, you know, all those things. Uh, disasters are averted by fire and police coming in on a mission. I have a picture up here of uh, American firefighters arriving in Australia and the Australians are cheering for them as they show up to fight the Australian wildfires. And I think to myself, you know, that's got to make them feel good. We're over here and we're going to fight this fire with you. And they're on a mission. They're on a mission. They know what they're there for. They've got to, you know, and they're going to, the mission is, what's so exciting about these missions is they're going to save people. Okay. They're there to save homes, to save people's lives, to do things like that. I think of our firefighters and our policemen who do this to save. Um, I think I just watched the movie 1917, and uh, the whole movie is about this gr- these two guys uh, that want to save this group, uh, this other group from going into a mission that's going to cause their death. And the whole movie is about them trying to save them. Them, for the sake of going through the horrible things, and World War I is so horrible, that they have to go through, but they say they want to do it because it's worth it to save somebody. We're on a mission. So things that they would never imagine doing, they're crawling through things that they would have never imagined doing. They're looking at things they would have never imagined doing because they're on a mission, because they know what they're doing is going to save lives. It's going to save people. It's going to bring the cause forward. Now, God is on a mission. Uh, Jesus, when he was on earth, he said he came to seek and save the lost. Now, this is a term that some people don't like outside the church now and say, well, don't call me lost. Well, we're all lost if we're not. Jesus says that we're all supposed to be with him, and if we are scattered, we are all lost. And he says he came to seek and save those which are not in their right places with Jesus. And, and then in Matthew 28, 19 through, or 18 through 20, We read the Great Commission, and it talks about us going out into all the world, but what we need to understand is that Jesus says in in the the end of the Great Commission is, I am with you always to the end of the age. What this tells us is Jesus is continuously on a mission. Do you know that Jesus today, the Holy Spirit, is on a mission in Bemidji to seek and save the lost? That we are joining what God is doing. It's not like we have to ask God, God, I really want my neighbor saved. Jesus wants your neighbor saved. He wants to see him saved. He wants his Holy Spirit. He wants to work through you to make that happen. But he has been on a mission, and his goal is to seek and save that which was lost. To seek and save those who are outside of Christ. And so as we look at this, Paul is now taking his letter and kind of coming to a conclusion He's, he's bringing up that at the beginning of the letter he talked about the worldwide mission of Jesus Christ, the worldwide mission of God that had come to them at Colossae. 
They had, it had come to them. They had become saved. And what he is saying to them is, now I'm letting you know after you received the mission, you now are part of the mission for others. You didn't just receive this so you could have something good in your life. You did, but guess what? Now it's time for you to take it to somebody else. Now it's time for you to take that next step out there. So we're not just saved for ourselves. We're saved to bring the message to others. And how are we going to do that? How do we do that? Now, we've, we talked that we've been sent. And sometimes it's so important, and there's so many jobs. And I don't know if you've ever been in a job where somebody says, just do this job, and you don't know what you're doing. And so you sit there and just get frustrated. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever had it. You know, basically anything to do with repair. If you want something repaired at your home, don't call me. I mean, you call me for moral support, I'll come over and pray for it. Or tell you you're doing a good job, or maybe give you a phone number of somebody I know. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't know what to do. I, I just don't. I, I don't have that uh, me mechanical ability. And, but that's, you know, we need to find out how to do the project. How to do, if Jesus really wants us to do this, if God calls us to do this, and now Paul is telling him, this is what God is telling you, you need to know what to do and how to do it. How do we have this prayer-filled mission? The first thing we need to do, if we look at Colossians 4, starting with verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So the first thing we must do, if we're going to be involved in the mission, we need to be like Jesus who puts us on the mission, like Paul who put us on the mission. We must be dedicated to prayer for the mission and realize that prayer is not just preparation for the mission. Prayer is the mission. Prayer is the mission. It is a vital component. It's not like, well, we pray and then we get to the good stuff. Okay, then we do what we're supposed to do. It's, the it's part of, it's integrated with everything. He opens up the whole book of Colossians with the same way, talking, telling his readers to, prayer, to pray, and he's saying now, continue steadfastly in prayer. And he modifies this by saying being watchful, and then verse 3, he talks more about prayer. So continue steadfastly is to basically persist and characterizes that the, it should be unrelenting uh, un, uh, persistence. Have you ever just gone at something? Maybe you're frustrated or maybe you're really at You just want to really get it done. And you've got persistence and you want to see it. You want to see it happen and you go after it. He says prayer should be something that we do steadfastly, something that we do not give up on. We just keep going at it and at it and at it until it gets. And, and then when we think we're done, we keep going at it. Because it is something that is that important. And he gives an example in Colossians 4.12. He talks about Epaphras, who is one of you. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you. And here's how he talks about Epaphras. This would be a great way if somebody described you, if they could describe you this way. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now what that tells me about steadfastly in prayer, maybe you're here and maybe you're the only person that I've ever talked to that doesn't have this problem. 
Does anybody else have problems staying consistent with their prayer? Okay, I, I, I didn't want you to raise hands because I could raise my hand, but I, was good. I should ask it the other way. Does anybody here just have no problems? Because I'd love to talk to you. Because, I mean, I, I really need to know that. But I, I, I like the word here. I think that's why he puts it in Epaphras. He says, this guy is one of you and he's doing a great job, but you know what? He struggles. He struggles. It's not easy. Now, to be relentless with something and to really go after it sometimes can be a struggle. When you come up against an obstacle, you keep going and you keep fighting through that obstacle. The steadfastness is a struggle through that. And that's what we need to understand. We don't just pray and say, well, it got hard today, so God must not want me to pray. Sometimes, if we, we realize, if we go through the Lord's Prayer, which we've been doing through the week of prayer, we realize that, that uh, God says, uh, lead us not to, tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil or the evil one, that the evil one wants to stop you from praying. And so if you sense the fact that somebody, something is trying to stop you from praying, realize that you're doing the right thing. So take it the other way. Hey, something's trying to stop me from praying. I'm on the right track. I'm going to press forward. So kind of turn it around. I'm meeting resistance. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that I can work with. He also says to be watchful in your prayer. This is a mental alertness, and, and it's a constant concept. Be in tune with your times. People, I've talked to people say, well, I pray, but I just don't know what to pray about. Stand there for a second. Look around. Look around. If you need something, you want to pray for a lot of things, look at a newspaper. Uh, for everybody under 20, a newspaper is... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you look at a... Um, Look at the internet or something like that. And basically you look at this and you find all kinds of needs. Go talk to your neighbor. You want to find some needs? It's not hard. Be in tune with your times. Understand what's going on. Understand. And he says, be alert and watchful. There's a mental prepared perception. They were to pray with alertness in their hearts. And this meant that they need to know the circumstances of life so that they could really get down what God was calling them to do. God would open up their eyes to things that were available to them. What's going on in your life? Sit down and say, what is going on in my life that's not going the way it's supposed to go? And if you say, I don't have enough things in my life, be thankful for that, but go talk to a friend. More than likely, it doesn't take more than one or two friends, and you'll find a long prayer list. The biggest problem when you get watchful and perceptive is you'll never run out of prayer requests. It's like, prayed, okay, Jesus, page 96 today. Here's what you get. I mean, here's my, here's my needs. Here's the needs of my friends. Here's the needs of my neighbors. Here's the needs of my country. Here's the needs of my missionary friends. We look around for missionaries. It's just like, wow, it can be overwhelming. But we need to be in tune of what God is calling us to do. And he may put things right in front of us. So many times people in your workplace or where at school will say, I've got this issue. Ask them if you can pray for them. Ask them if you can. Many times they will. And these are people, I've done this before, and as you say, well, you're a pastor, you can do this. No, pastors are usually freaked out by, but people are usually freaked out by pastors. But I'll ask people if I can pray for them, and they, and they usually accept it. And just be looking for opportunities in tune with the times. And lastly, he says, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, 
thanking God for, first of all, the opportunity to pray, but thanking him for all the things that he has done in the past. So it's not like we know, God, that you are able to take care of this. We know that this is something you can handle. So with thanksgiving, we are supposed to pray. It gives us proper perspective because when we look at what God has done in the past, we thank you, God, for what you have done in our past, and we thank you now for what you're going to do in this situation. And it puts our in thing, and it also is a safeguard for proper prayer because it removes discouragement. God, we know you have done things in the past, and we know you can do it now. And then Paul gives them a little bit more focus. And this, these verses to me um, are intimidating. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open up to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Okay, I, I know I've preached many times to the Apostle Paul and his writings, but this is the Apostle Paul. Okay, how many people do you know that are named Paul? When we've got St. Paul as our capital in Minnesota, okay, it, it is a, he's a big guy, big shot, right, writes most of the Bible, most of the New Testament, preaches and thousands of people are saved, all this, and, you're, and he says, pray for me. Yeah, like you need that. Yeah, I'll pray for somebody who really needs it. You're fine. But I love this concept. He says, pray for us. And never assume that somebody doesn't need your prayer. Never look and say, hey, that person's got it all together. That person's got it together. And so he says, pray. He, he says, first of all, here's what he wants. He says, pray that God may open a door for us for the word. Paul is always looking for an opportunity to share the gospel. He is always looking for that. I've talked to people there in the hospital. If you're in the hospital, look for an opportunity to pray for the nurses and doctors that are with you. Pray for the person that brings the food to you. You say, but I'm sick. Okay, guess what? Paul was in prison. You know what he did when he was in prison? And by the way, Philippian prison at this time, or Ephesians prison, we think that he's in, this is not a nice place. Probably rats crawling over him, probably this. And he's looking for opportunities to minister to people. And I love that. He's saying, pray that I have the opportunity that God will open to us a word. And he's in prison while he's writing this. And he says, it really served me. In Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me being in prison has really served to advance the gospel. So I got put in prison, and guess what? God used this for me to advance the gospel. So there's no circumstance that you have. If your engine blows up, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Maybe you get a chance to pray for the mechanic. I'm just saying if Paul can do it while he's in prison, we can do it in every other thing. So pray that we have an opportunity. It's not that Paul was just looking for his own talents. He says that God needs to open a door so us, for us to present the gospel. Look for God's opportunity to present the gospel. I think sometimes the most frustrating people in life are the people that need to hear the gospel the most. The people that irritate you the most. Say, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with my really annoying neighbor, whatever, bring, fill in the blank. Okay? God, open a door for your word. Paul is saying, I had an opportunity to preach to people that are in prison. God, give me that opportunity. And he says, also to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He says, 
God's purpose is to reconcile the world through Christ and to welcome Gentiles into him. In Colossians 1.26, he talks about the mystery hidden for the ages. Colossians 1.27, he says, Then God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of glory, the mystery which is Christ in you. And then he talks about in Colossians 2.2, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He says, make known this mystery, which is Jesus Christ. People are looking for answers, and they're looking for a clue to the mystery of life. People want to know the meaning of life. He is saying the great mystery, which has been around forever, is solved in this, Jesus Christ and Christ in you. Give me the opportunity, give me the words to say that I may declare the mystery of Christ to people. Because when you bring up Jesus Christ to somebody, they might think that you're swearing. Okay, just say Jesus Christ loud one time. More than likely, somebody will think you're swearing. Am, am I wrong? I mean, just like, well, it depends how you say it, too. If you, if you yell at the wrong, I'm guaranteed they'll think that. But you say Jesus Christ, okay? It's a mystery to people. Maybe they've heard about him, maybe they haven't, maybe they whatever, but he is saying, give me the words that I may say it. And I think to myself, give Paul the words to say this? Um, aren't we reading your letter here? Don't we read all of your letters? Aren't you the guy that preaches everywhere? Aren't you the guy with the incredible talent and giftings and all that, and you need words to say? How much more the rest of us who don't have all of Paul's giftings and don't have all of Paul's this need the words to say, the opportunity to make the gospel known. R realize this, the goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to reveal the mystery of Christ and to see lives change. There's a new thing that I saw, and I heard it just the other day, where somebody says it was like a guide to how to own the atheist in an argument. Because there's nothing better as a Christian than making another person cry that disagrees with you and have them run away disappointed and crushed because that person is going to come to church next week <laughs> right but there's a lot of people who think that it's our job to argue and paul argued with the Areopagus. he he went to the mars hill and he he knew the greek philosophy he knows all this he can debate with them but he always said i want to make the mystery of the gospel known to them so that they can become christians and if you're not doing it out of love and you're not doing it the right way, all you're doing is making somebody feel bad. Well, I'm an atheist. Well, that's stupid. I mean, that's not helpful. Is it stupid to be an atheist? Well, you know, maybe. But <laughs> that doesn't mean you say that. I mean, think about the things that you've learned in your life. Okay, the first time you went to work and everybody just said, well, that's stupid. You can't. First time you drove a car, well, that's stupid. Why didn't you know? How to? Because we don't know. Nobody's revealed the mystery to us. Nobody's explained this to us. The reason that we've learned is somebody has taken the time to be patient and, and walk us through and not mock us every time we make a mistake or not come down in our beliefs. And that's how we are changed. But you know, it's an interesting thing. He says, make it known that I, may, that I might make it clear how I ought to speak. Words that make it clear what is hidden. It's not just that I speak that I make it clear. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ who is in your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He is saying when the gospel appears, he's using the same word, make it clear through my words, God, so that they can understand the mystery of Christ. 
Make my words your words, God. Don't make them my, don't make them foolish. Make them your words that I can be clear with what I need to say. And that's what he's calling for. But here's the thing. He's saying it's not just enough to have the right things to say. It's not, there's a, commun- there's a communal thing that comes together. And the next thing is, not only are we supposed to be dedicated praying, we're supposed to be wise walking. We pray for opportunities to proclaim the good news, but if we live completely opposite of the way that we talk, it's going to do nothing for the kingdom of God. He says you need to walk in a wise way amongst people that need it. If you look at verse 5, it says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Now in the Colossian situation, what's going on with them right now, they are dealing with this minority uh, problem, that they are the minority in a hostile environment. And they, want to, they wanted to make a good impression, but they got put on the margin. They were made full in Christ and had the truth. And now they're starting to look at outsiders and say, you know what? They're people that are deprived outsiders. They're the people on the outside. And we just kind of, we're nice to them, but they're deprived. They don't get the gospel like us. Look how wonderful we are and look how deprived they are. And I think we can do this as Christians. We can look and say, oh, those crazy non-Christians, they're all a bunch of sinners. Uh, Yes. The definition's right there. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just for the record, we're sinners saved by grace. So we can't look at the outside world and go, well, they're sinners. Mm-hmm. Yep, tell me something new. Does that mean we look down on them? No, because we're sinners too. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Guess who else he died for? All those people that are the evil, rotten sinners out there. So instead of looking at them and trying to come down on them and say, well, look how horrible they are. Go out there and try and do something about it. Go out there and try and bring them with the gospel. But we need to understand that we need to be out there serving God and walking in wisdom. This is a daily walk, the way that we act. Literally, it means in wisdom be walking. That's why I put it in the, in wisdom be walking. That in my head, just every day, in wisdom be walking, in wisdom be walking. Paul is prayed at the beginning of Colossians for them to know wisdom. Now he wants them to know what to do with the wisdom. For they may be wise, but they need to know what to do with it. N.T. Wright puts it this way. And I love this term. I circled it in my commentary when I read it. It's this. It says, that is, follow Christ as God's pattern for a full and authentic human living. In other words, we want people to walk, we're supposed to walk, and help other people walk so they can be the best, full, authentic human living possible on this earth. I thought that that was amazing. He's not just saying, let's get them out of their lifestyle so now we can take the fun away from them and now they can be stuck in our world that's not so fun and we're doing this and doing that. We want them to be full, authentic, and have the greatest life that they can possibly have. And God is calling them to do that. What an amazing thing that we have because of that. It's necessary for the outsiders. They need an example of God's wisdom walked out daily. They don't know any better. I have been in situations where I am the only Christian out of a group of 25. You are like a lab rat to them. Okay, have you ever been there before? When I was in high school, it's like people poking you. Hmm, never seen one of you before. You know, it's, 
because they're doing that because they haven't seen one before. But you're their example. And you say, that's a lot of pressure, Pastor. That's why God has to be giving you the power to do it. And I've talked about this before. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that we do what God calls us to do. And you know what I found, too, is when I mess up and when I do something wrong, when I ask for forgiveness, that really is freaky to them. You mean you admitted that you were wrong and you said, yeah, I was totally wrong. I, I pre- apologize for my attitude yesterday. They're like, okay, nobody does that. Nobody does that. You're weird. I'm like, yes, let me tell you why I'm weird. All right? Let me tell you about what God has done in my life. Let me tell you what it means to be a follower of him. And it's necessary. We need to make sure that we do not give opportunities for non-Christians to criticize our behavior. We need to make sure that we follow God to the point. This is one of the major reasons for an ethical, Christian ethical life is that we give an example of what it means to be a Christian so that people can actually see that your life is different. If they look at you and they say you are no different than the non-Christians, why do they want to become a Christian? What is the point? And if you're not showing them a better life, then why would they want to accept that? Okay, it's to say, yeah, my life stinks. I have to go to church once a week. The pastor's always talking. You know, we keep looking at our watch and we go home. Hey, you want to come? Boy, it's not going to work. I'm just telling you, that's not a good sales pitch. Um, You know, it's this constant thing of walk in wisdom. Walk in the way that God has called you to do. And realize that when you do that, you are having full and authentic human living. The highest form of life on earth. The best possible way you can live. And when you have that, people are looking for that. People are looking for a better way than their lives. They may not show it, but they don't want to live the way they do. They just don't know another way to do it. And you're that example when you walk in wisdom. The next thing I really like is, it says making the best. And this whole concept of making the best, and when I study this, is the term really means buying up or buying out. And if you really go at this term, it means if there's a sale, buy it. Okay? I kind of put a Black Friday thing in my head. All right? Now, this has gotten a little better with stores. I don't think people are as crushed as often on Black Friday. But you see the stories where people are ripping things out. I mean, it's like, hey, there's a TV for 20, 280 bucks. I'm going to you know, punch this person to get it. But people are so excited because there's a bargain and we're going to go get it. All right? Now, don't recommend the punching. Don't recommend that. But the, what he's trying to say here, with that same enthusiasm that you get excited when it's you know, discount day at your favorite place, where you find your favorite shirt that you wanted to buy on sale. Or you find that. That's how you should be looking for the times. He said you should be looking saying, make the best of the times. Look at this and say, God, these are precious times, precious opportunities that don't come every day, and I want to take advantage of those times. So in other words, look for opportunities, making the best of the time, making the time count for Christ. When there's an opportunity to share the gospel, when there's an opportunity to show the gospel, use it. And we think that Paul is writing this from, we know Paul is writing this from prison, and he's thinking to himself, I think back of all the times that I could have done something more, and I didn't. 
the times that I could have lived more for Christ. Maybe I could have opened my mouth here. Maybe I should have shut my mouth here. Uh, maybe that's me. I, I, if you, if you, I identify with that. Uh, Lord, teach me when to speak and when not to. That's in the Proverbs. And the whole concept of God use me for this sake. But the next thing, the last thing is we're supposed to have powerful conversations. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's important to understand that both content and the way something is said matters. There was a magazine that talked, this, that talked about this. It's Dr. Albert, I'm just going to call him. And he has his book, uh, Silent Messages. And he conducted several studies on nonverbal communication. He found that 7% of any message is conveyed through words. 38 through certain vocal elements, and 55% through nonverbal elements, which are facial expressions, gestures, postures, etc. Subtracting the 7% for st- actual vocal content, that leaves 93% st- statistic of nonverbal communication when you say something to somebody. When they say, are, is, is being a Christian important to you? Yeah. Well, I said yes, Pastor. What more do you want me to do? Okay. Well, I mean, I told I mean, you've seen it before. I mean, you've seen this thing. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, go team. Yeah. And, but we need to say, you know, I've heard people say, if you're excited about something, let your face know. Let, let it know. It, it's, it's waiting for you to relay that message to it. We are eager to speak. We need to make sure we do it correctly and the one thing that kept coming up in everything that i was reading this week is the two things that christians can be with the christian message the first one is obnoxious and i think we can identify with that there are people that speak in the name of christ and i want to go and sometimes do physical harm i i'm i'm tempted i'm not saying i'm going to i'm like please get off our side stop being obnoxious just say you're with the, another religion, okay? You're making it bad for the rest of us, all right? But the other one is speech that is boring. Speech that you say to yourself, and every pastor's fears, you look out and like, they're all bored, okay? It's, it's just like, that's everybody's fear. But there's two levels that kept coming out, like the way that we ought to speak. And so he uses to say that your speech should be gracious and seasoned with salt. The first thing he wants to say to make sure that it's not obnoxious or boring is that it's gracious. And it should be uh, charming to people. Paul took a common expression and he put a Christian theme to it. That your words should be civility and gracious, making people more receptive. He says, warned earlier about poor speech in Colossians 3, 8-9, when he says, but now uh, you must put, away, put all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. In other words, if you're slandering people and you're lying to people and then you tell them about Jesus, I don't think a lot of people are going to be excited to hear. I always talk about it. If you see a mechanic with his car broken down the side of the road, it makes you think, I, I, I don't know. 
you see a doctor, you know, that, that's all, you know, doing all these unhealthy things, you're like, do I want to go to that doctor? I mean, just go through the line. You see a lawyer who you know, looks at a document, I don't really understand this. Anybody else get this? You know, it, it's just, it doesn't give you encouragement. If you see a Christian that lies and cheats and steals, you don't want to be that person. And you're not going to listen to him. Why would you? And so he said it needs to be gracious, civility, those who live in a state of grace. And he says the next thing he says, it should be seasoned with salt. You think, okay. Now, we, how do we use the word salty today? I mean, maybe this is more like a sailor thing, a salty sailor. Okay, I don't, have, I don't have any Marines around here or Gavin, but uh, the salty sailors, kind of they have like, okay, don't think of it that way. All right, a bunch of swearing salty sailors. This is the concept of seasoned with salt. Okay, now I think of one of God's glorious things that he's created. It's not good for us, but it, I think in heaven we'll be able to eat them calorie-free. Our french fries, okay? And you put some salt on some french fries. And that's just good. That is good. All right? You put, I mean, it just is. I, I, I'm just stating a fact. It's just, don't, don't, don't say Pastor John said we should eat a lot of french fries. But there's things you put salt on, it just adds flavor to it. Okay? And then this time period, they used a lot of salt just to preserve their stuff. But he is saying it's a way to season a food. And he says, basically, the best idea is to make it acceptable and inoffensive to somebody. So not only should be, you be nice about it and gracious, you should make it so, um, here's some, one author put it this way, witty, amusing, clever, and humorous speech should be used. And he says, also, your saltiness will prevent you from being ignored as irrelevant bores. In other words, think about what you're going to say. If you're talking to somebody talk about things that they like. You know what most people like to talk about? Themselves. Tell me about you. Go, when you're going to witness to somebody, don't go in there and say, hey, I'm about to tell you everything you need to know. Well, let me, no, I don't want to hear about you. I'm, I'm telling you what to do. Gracious. Seasoned with salt. Okay? So that so that you might know how you ought to answer each person. Suited to each person. People will ask different questions. I, 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 and they're asking in different ways. You need to know what an, question they're answering and how to answer it. And they're suited to each person. The right way to each person, the method. Sound answers at the right time. Also, you need to be well grounded in your faith. You need to actually study the word of God. You need to actually come to Bible studies. You need to come to church and learn about the Word of God so that when people ask you about your faith, you know how to answer. And you know what you can also do, which is a wonderful answer to do? I don't know, but I will look it up and get back to you. All right? I have got a lot of education. My wife says it's time to stop, okay? Um, And I have a lot. I do not know all the answers. The more educated you become, the more you realize you don't know the answers. It's, it's just the thing. You think you get to the top and you'd be like, there's this box where they tell you, here's the answers. It's not there. It just says, here's more questions. Yay. And, but you need to understand, I will look it up or I will talk to somebody else and I will get back to you. Don't make it up, but understand that we need to know how we ought to speak to everybody. We need to work together as a community and say, how do you deal with a situation where somebody is, 
dealing with this and, or they're having this thing in their life or they have this question. No, nothing's new under the sun, we learned in the song in uh, Ecclesiastes. Nothing's new. These questions have been asked before. Somebody's going to try to stump you with some question and think they made it up. And you can just say, well, let me go look that up or let me go ask the pastor or whatever. I'm always available to you to ask me. And you know what I'll do for you? I've had multiple people call me and just say, somebody asked me this question and I don't know how to answer it. Will you look it up for me? And I do. Send them a response. I'll be your research team. Everybody here has a research team. I'm for you. Okay? And you have friends that you can help. So learn how you ought to speak and be well grounded in your faith. The grace and salt also can come from above. Realize that the Bible tells us when you are told, put on account of what you're supposed to say, that you have the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. I just want to make sure you know that at the end. That it's not, okay, Pastor, you just gave us all this instructions, and now I've got to go study. I didn't realize I was back in school. So every day there's going to be like a reading material. There's going to be study and study. And what if I get some answers wrong? God is always there by his Holy Spirit to help you with this. He will recall, the Bible says, what you have learned. Now the key is you have to have learned it. I always tell my students this. God's not going to recall what you haven't learned. If you haven't studied, I'm not, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but understand the fact that God is there for us. So in conclusion, we need to be committed in our mission to dedicated prayer, wise walking, and powerful conversation because God wants us to complete the mission. God wants us to help people get saved. God wants us to make an influence in our community. God wants to see people saved. He wants to see the seat next to you taken by somebody that you're shocked by. Okay? You want to walk into church and see somebody there and go, "Uh, am I in the wrong spot? Um, Okay. He wants to see people saved. He wants to seek and save that which is lost. He gave us a command to go out in the world and, read and preach and teach and make disciples. He wants us to do it, but he gives us the method to do it and the power to do it by his Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand with me right now? If our prayer ministers could come forward, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, You've never made him the master of your life. You are not living a full and authentic human life. You are living under the burden of your own sin. You do not have the Holy Spirit within you to help you. And you do not have a guaranteed future in Christ. And, and it just sounds like I'm giving you a sales pitch, I guess that I am, but I'm, all I'm telling you is it's free. God says the opportunity to come and take advantages. Have your sins forgiven. Have that guilt removed that you're carrying around. And say, I've turned it over to God. He nailed it to the cross. I'm forgiven. Have your life transformed. Have within you, there's a regeneration that takes place where you are regenerated. You become a new creation in Christ. And you have a future guaranteed. There is nothing this world can bring that God cannot handle. If it is even up to your own death, It does not matter because it says even to die is to be present with Christ. There's nothing in the future that can scare you then. That's the only way to live with Jesus Christ. And if you want that, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers and accept Jesus. For everybody else here, if you've got a need that you just need somebody to pray with about, come and talk to our prayer ministers. But for us, I want us to be on a prayer-filled mission. I want to do what he just gave Colossians here. He gave the church of Colossians. He says, you need to be on this mission. You've learned this. You've found out the mystery of Christ. 
Now pray for me that I continue, but you also go out and do these things. You dedicate yourselves to prayer. You dedicate yourself to wise walking. You dedicate yourself to powerful conversations so that we can see the world changed. You want to see Bemidji become a better place? People talk about our crime rate. People want to talk about our social issues. People want to talk about this. Bring Jesus Christ into people's lives. Our town will change. I'm going to speak prophetically there. That is the answer. All right, That's what we can do. And so let's go out there and be deliberate and say, God, open up the doors like Paul said. Give me the words to speak. Teach me how to walk. Teach me how to speak. Make me your instrument of grace in our community so that more can come to know Christ. Lord Jesus, we just thank you today. We thank you for this word. We thank you. You spoke through your, to your servant, Apostle Paul, God. He spoke to the Colossian church and They were instructed to hand this off to other churches and we today still have it, God. And today we just thankfully accept it. God, we accept your mission, but we know that you are with us always. That you want our neighbors saved. You want our children saved. You want our parents saved. You want our friends saved more than we do. You died on the cross for them, God. But let us walk in your ways. Let us pray And let us open up our mouths to speak the words that you have for us to speak, God. Let let us do it all for the glory of you, God, by your power so that we may see lives change. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now go and connect with one another. We'll see you Wednesday night.